And you see, friends, when the Advent Savior comes and begins to work in our hearts, saving me by His Spirit, we find a new enmity in our hearts, don't we? We find, you know that child of God, you find a new enmity against sin. You have an inner hatred to sin you never had before. You come to hate what God hates. And you come to love what God loves. Now these opening words declare two solemn truths to us. Two wonderful truths. The first truth is that we can't put our own enmity there. We can't do this for ourselves. God says he'll do it. Adam can't do it. Eve can't do it. Only God can do what man cannot do for himself. God takes the initiative. I will put it there, he says. I'm the only one that can do it. You see, Adam and Eve would not do it, and they could not do it. The bigger problem was they would not do it. But they were both real problems. But God takes over. God takes charge. And he says, I'll put enmity there against your old nature, against Satan, against the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, against anything that dishonors the Lord. And what an encouragement that is as true believers when we find in our hearts an enmity against sin that we know we could not have put there by ourselves. God does that. So the second wonderful truth is that though we cannot do it, God delights to do it. God delights to put enmity between us and Satan, between a sinner created in the image of God and the devil who wants that sinner for himself. He promises to do it. I will, I will, I shall. There's no doubt about it, you see. I will put enmity between thee and the woman. So that's the first thing. God injects enmity. The second thing is, enmity perpetuated. Enmity continued. Enmity will go on throughout the ages between thy seed and her seed. So God says, I'm not just going to put enmity between you and the woman, serpent, but I'm going to prolong that enmity. I'm going to, this, this woman's going to have children. And I'm going to, from her seed, I'm going to raise up children who will have the same enmity. And there will be an ongoing holy war between your seed, Satan, the seed of fallen, unconverted mankind and fallen angels, and the godly seed of the woman. So God predicts a holy warfare. And God says, I will do that too. I will keep that enmity there between Satan and Christ, between the world and the church, between the wicked and the righteous, between the flesh and the spirit. There will be holy war. And that's why, even until today, where God builds his church, Satan builds his temple next door, the old Puritans used to say. Satan will wage war against all that is of God and all that is of Christ. And friends, that goes on throughout all the ages. Under the permissiveness of divine decree, Cain will attack Abel. Ishmael will attack Isaac. Esau will be against Jacob. Egypt will be against Israel. And Satan's goal is always the same. Wipe out the chosen seed. Destroy the seed of God. So he commands Pharaoh to destroy all Israel's male children. 
Or he tries to get Egypt to attack at the Red Sea. Or he lays in Haman's heart a plot to destroy the Jews. See, it's all throughout biblical history. It never stops. And it culminates upon the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The seed of the woman. So as soon as Jesus is baptized, remember what happens, boys and girls. He goes out into the wilderness, and for 40 days, he's tempted by who? By Satan. Satan is crushing his heel, bruising his heel with all the powers of hell. He's raging. He uses every avenue of attack to get the sacred humanity of Jesus Christ under his control. But he fails. He fails because Christ is almighty God and perfect righteous man. And because he's standing there on behalf of sinners like you and me. To take over our failures. To merit his righteousness for our unrighteousness. His successes for our failures. His perfection for our imperfections. And Satan leaves him for a season, the Bible says. Comes back comes back. Just like he does in your life, dear child of God. He's always coming back. Always attacking you. Attacking you at your most vulnerable places. Attacking you when you're in your greatest need. So there he is again in Gethsemane. When he's crawling as a worm and no man, all the devils of hell are let loose upon Christ. All seeking to get him to surrender the cup he must drink. And he even cries out, Oh my Father, if this, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but thine be done. Oh, what Christ experienced in Gethsemane from the hands of Satan is indescribable. He said, Satan, this is your hour. And the hour of the powers of darkness. All the forces of hell. Waging war on the heels of Jesus. And then the conflict meets a new scene at Gabbatha, doesn't it? All the mockings and the spittings and the crownings, the crown of thorns, the purple robe, the slappings, more internal war, more bloody bruisings, scourgings on the back. And then the climax of Golgotha. When even the sun and sun in the realm of nature could not shine upon Christ. No friendly eye to show respect for what he was going through. Disciples deserting him. His father turning his friendly fatherly face away from him. Satan with all his power. Trying to get Christ to come down from the cross. And in the midst of all the satanic attacks. The most agonizing cry ever uttered from human lips. Ascends from the mouth of our Lord and Savior. My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? And yet he doesn't sin. He doesn't surrender. He doesn't stumble. Martin Luther said he spent a whole morning. Trying to comprehend this fourth crossword. Only to arise from his knees at noon. Confessing God forsaken of God who can comprehend it? Oh, the battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. But Satan was defeated. Defeated there on the cross. 
defeated once and for all, Christ destroyed him that had the power of death through his death, that is, the devil. The victory belongs to Christ. And he arose from the dead to prove it. But that battle still continues, friends. It continues to the end. It continues through the Acts of the Apostles. It continued through the church's early persecutions. It continued through the Reformation and the post-Reformation eras and all the martyrdoms involved. Through the Great Awakening. Through the times of revival. This very day, the church is persecuted around the globe by the arch enemy and the adversary and the accuser of the brethren, Satan. Yes, today the The holy warfare goes on inside the breast of every child of God. And Bunyan graphically portrays that for us, doesn't he? In his famous allegory, the holy war. That that grand global conflict has its miniature version inside the chest, inside the, the soul, as it were, of every single believer. Struggling. Struggling between two seeds. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Yes, made a new man in Christ Jesus. But the old nature, striving, nibbling, bruising, crushing the heel, raising doubts and questions and riddles and unfulfilled promises. Oh, the mysteries, the bruisings, the conflict. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to dig deeper in your study of Reformed theology? The All of Life for God podcast, presented by Reformation Heritage Books, offers you weekly sermons, audiobook chapters, and interviews that will help strengthen your relationship with Jesus Christ. So what are you waiting for? Just search All of Life for God wherever you get your podcast and start listening today. Presented by Reformation Heritage Books. Does not Satan bruise you, dear child of God, when he injects blasphemous thoughts into your mind? When he whispers to you, you cannot be a child of God, and has such thoughts, and speaks such words? When he succeeds to get you to question the truth of God's promises, and of the mercy of God, and raises doubts in your mind that God will yet have compassion upon you, is there not Satan's bruising inside of you? And when he tries to persuade you that salvation is not for you, why would the Lord have anything to do with you, such a sinner, such a hypocrite, such an inconsistent fool? Is he not bruising you? And when he argues with you, How you could be so weak in faith. Such a poor example to your children or to your parents. So hard, so prayerless, so inconsistent, so foolish, so vain. Is he not wrestling with you? When he comes to you as an accuser on the left hand, or as an angel of light on the right hand, seeking to lead you from despair or to presumption, from one extreme to the other, when he presents the world to you in fair colors, attempting to move you back into its customs and friendships and vanities inch by inch, is he not in holy war with you? 
And when he presses you to indulge in the lust of the flesh, when he moves you to indulge in the lust of the eye, when he persuades you to engage in a little pride of life, oh, is he not doing battle with you? See, the old nature is constantly pursuing those former paths of living without God and without love and for self. Satan constantly wants to get you back. And in this conflict, we have to learn the painful lesson that we are our own greatest enemies and our own greatest obstacles. And we have to learn to cry out, Who am I? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Sometimes we feel like we're in a vice grip, don't we? On the one side, we have this hatred to sin, this longing to be purged from sin. And on the other side, this pressure to sin. We cry out to God, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Sometimes we feel ourselves sliding back. Sometimes we say Satan's going to get the victory after all. Sometimes we say with David, I shall one day perish at the hands of Saul. Satan's too strong for me. Too strong. The hand of God can be so hidden. And the borders of hell so visible. The temptations of sin so powerful. Conscience condemns. The law demands. The law curses. We are bitten. We are bitten on our heels by the serpent. You cannot walk without heels, can you? Oh, we feel we will fall away. We say farewell to self-help. We must die to all our righteousness. We must sign, as it were, our own death sentence. I'm fit to be cast away, Lord. I'm a sinner. I've spoiled all thy grace. I'm unworthy in every way. I'm fallen. I'm a child of Adam. I'm no different than Adam in Genesis 3. I take the forbidden fruit every day. Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. All my repentance, all my righteousness, all my prayer, all my humility, all my worthiness. Yes, all my unworthiness. It's all nothing. Death is written across it all. Death is written across everything of self. Lord, I am altogether fit to be cast away. But God says. That's what we say. That's what Satan says. But God says. It shall bruise thy head. Thou, Satan, shall bruise his heel. That's a serious bruising. But it, the seed of the woman, shall bruise thy head. Enmity injected. Enmity perpetuated. But lastly, enmity 
consummated. The victory lies in the hands of Christ. Because what does Jesus do? Oh, dear child of God, what has he done for you? He comes. When you lie in that valley of the shadow of death, self-death, self-righteousness death, and Satan is as it were over you to put the sword through you, and you lie there, ready to perish, Christ comes, and he gives you the word of God to take the sword in your hand, not only, but he scoops you up in his shepherding arms, and he embraces you, and he shows you what he has done, and who he is, and how he gains the victory. He shows you through the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, that he, the seed of the woman, has crushed the head of the serpent, Satan, so that Satan can never get the victory in the end. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I I think it's something very, very powerful. Here is God pronouncing judgment after judgment after judgment upon the serpent, upon the woman, and upon the man. But God never says... I am going to destroy you, man. I am going to destroy you, woman. God banishes them from paradise. But he never says, I'm going to destroy you. He never pronounces the verdict. The obvious verdict. Guilty. Fit to be cast away. And why doesn't God pronounce it? Boys and girls, maybe you can tell me. Why doesn't God pronounce that verdict? Well, God postpones it to pronounce it on the head, dear believer, of your beloved Savior, so that he takes the curse that you may be set free. And when God pronounces it later, every one of these punishments that come upon Adam and Eve descend upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam is the first representative. He fails. Christ is the second Adam. And he comes and he bears all the punishments. You just read verses 17 through 19. Everything that Adam was punished in, Christ takes over. He takes over the full curse, not for himself, but for his needy people. You see, does sin bring pain in childbirth? Well, Christ travails in pain, the Bible says, Hebrews 2 verse 10, to bring forth sons of glory. The sin being conflict even in the most sacred relationships. Jesus endured greater conflict of sinners against himself, says Paul. Hebrews 12, verse 3. Did thorns come in with sin? Jesus was crowned with thorns. John 19, verse 2. Did sin bring sweat? He sweat great drops of blood in Gethsemane. 
the sin brings sorrow. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Did sin bring death and return Adam to the ground from which he was taken? Jesus tasted death for every one of his own. You see, Jesus took our curse, our paradise curse. God suspends the sentence. And he carries out the sentence upon Jesus. And there on the cross, Jesus nails to death the handwriting of our sins that is against us. So that we may be set free to live to God through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. The glory. The wonder of the gospel. And so this second Adam is far greater than the first Adam, you see. He's greater in respect to time. Adam's disobedience was temporary. Christ's victory is permanent. He's greater than the first Adam in the effect. It is true that when Adam sinned, all men died in him. But Christ broke the power of death. His death enables his people to receive life forever. And he was greater than Adam in respect to all the territory affected. Adam's sin affected only this earth. The victory of Christ is to be celebrated, the Bible says, throughout the vast regions of this universe. Christ is greater than Adam. Christ's righteousness is greater than your sin, my unconverted friends sitting here tonight. And that is the hope of every believer in the midst of all my conflict and all my self-disappointment and all my death. My Savior is mightier than Satan. And he is willing to bear my curse. And he did. Even to the death of the cross. But there is more, friend. He arose from the dead. He was victorious in his resurrection. Do you remember what Satan did, boys and girls? He put guards at the the sepulcher. He put a seal. He put wax. He put a big stone. To make sure that Jesus would not come out alive. But he couldn't keep the victor buried. Because Christ is my dear. Christ rolls away our every stone. Christ breaks our hard hearts and every seal in our souls. Christ takes away all the opposition. And he wins and woos our hearts. And he makes us willing in the day of his power. And he now sits at the right hand of God, conquering and wooing sinners to this very day. And he has the keys of death and hell and grave in his hands. And the whole church is safe in Christ. His resurrection is a pledge of our future and blessed resurrection. Our victory is assured in Christ. And one day, that victory shall be finalized in absolute perfection. We call that day, boys and girls, the day of judgment. The day when Satan and all his seed will be gathered on the left side of Christ. And Christ will pronounce them and execute his pronouncement into hell forever and forever and forever. But until that day. The battle will go on. Let me open with me to one more text before we close tonight. Revelation 12. Revelation 12. A very important text. At the end times. Revelation 12, verse 17. And the dragon. That's Satan, isn't it, boys and girls? The serpent. 
The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. This is to the end times. He went to make war with the remnant of her seed. That's God's people. Which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. My friend, if you have the testimony of Jesus Christ in you, if your life is in Christ and your hope is in Christ and your love is in Christ and He's your only righteousness, your only salvation, if He's all in and all for you and you are striving to live a life in obedience to Him to keep His commandments out of love, then the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent rather, will attack you until the very end. But He will not get the victory. The second advent is coming. Your Savior is coming to fetch you unto Himself, to the right side, purchased by His blood. He's paid your curse. God will not demand payment twice. And He will gather you. And He will take you to Himself. And there on that day, your heel will no more be bruised by Satan. The accuser of the brethren shall accuse no more. Christ will take you up in His obedience. And in His righteousness. And in His divine, exalted vindication. And on that day you shall hear imperfection. Fear ye not, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord which He has shown to you today. For the Egyptians, whom you have seen today, today, throughout your entire lifetime, you shall see them no more again forever. For the Lord who has fought for you, shall cause you to hold your peace. And all then it shall be peace that passes all understanding in the Advent Savior. And then all our Advent Saviorhood shall be turned to an everlasting Elam as we enter into the eternal peace of God and feast with Him with whom there are pleasures at His right hand forevermore. And all that is satanic the satanic seed, the satanic old nature, Satan himself, all shall be left buried in the grave. We shall ever be with the Lord. Oh, happy day. Happy day. When this mortality shall put on immortality and this corruption in corruption. Dear child of God, your victor cannot fail. His cause is sure. His person is certain. He cannot forsake the work of his own hands. But friend, what if you belong to the seed of the serpent? What is your future? Your future if you don't repent. Your future if you don't believe the gospel. Lies in Hebrews 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? See, there are not three seeds. There are but two seeds. You belong to Christ, the godly line, or you belong to Satan, and the ungodly line. You have one master or the other. But you're not there yet. You're not in hell yet. Not tonight. Tonight the Lord still calls to you. 
He still offers you the seed of the woman. He still says, I have an Advent Savior who I delight to give away. Come, sinner, just as you are, and cry out, Oh God, give me Jesus, else I die. Amen. Thank you for listening to Doctrine for Life with Dr. Joel Beakey. If you were encouraged by this episode and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing and sharing with a friend. To enjoy more resources from the pen and pulpit of Dr. Beakey, please visit joelbeakey.org.